The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today we're talking about saving Bristol Bay salmon, Alaska's red gold. And talking with me today uh, from Alaska... Uh, from Bristol, Bristol Bay, actually, are Catherine Kaskalian, Kaskalian and Brett Verhoosen. Catherine Kaskalian is the third-generation commercial fisherman, a third-generation commercial fisherman in Bristol Bay. She was born and raised in Dillingham, Alaska, which is right there in the bay, and it's got no roads. You, you have to fly or, or swim to get there. And uh, <laughs> Catherine was raised in the salmon. Oh, here she is. She's raised in the salmon gillnet fishery, and now captains her boat, the FV Seahawk. And in the off season, like now, she works to protect the Bristol Bay fishery from threats, like the proposed pebble mine. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Catherine also works as an organizer with the group Commercial Fishermen for Bristol Bay. And she sits on the board of directors for the Bristol Bay Regional Seafood Development Association. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good. And also with me is Brett Verhoosen, originally from Homer, Alaska. He grew up commercial fishing throughout Alaska and currently owns and operates the F.B. Finnegan in Bristol Bay. Brett has extensively fished throughout the state from the Aleutian Islands to the southeast for salmon, halibut, and herring. Brett is active on the campaign to stop the proposed pebble mine, which threatens his livelihood along with the ecosystem that supports thousands of fishermen and subsistence users. Brett is attaining his Master's of Marine Affairs from the University of Washington and lives in Seattle. He is fluent in Spanish and has lived and worked in Nicaragua and Spain. Hello, Brett. Hello, Rob. And Catherine... Um, so you're calling us from your home right there in Bristol Bay in southwestern Alaska. Uh, how is it up there? Well, it's it's actually warmed up a little bit, up to about, I don't know, 25 degrees here. We had a pretty bad cold snap the last month or so, but we finally got some snow, and it's, it's getting pretty nice there now. And you're talking Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you got any daylight up there? Yeah, we've actually got light about an hour ago, and the daylight's coming back now. So the winters make up for the great summers we have here, where we've got daylight most of the time. We kind of endure some endure some darkness in the winter. Well, I'm glad the light is returning to Dillingham, Alaska. Uh, Brett, where are you calling us from? 
Rob, I'm sitting here at the University of Washington in uh, Seattle, Washington. Well, you sound very academic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to learn how to be. We'll have to get you a rocking chair so you can get some of that chip motion back into your life. So, so Catherine, um, oh, yeah, so, you know, tell us a little bit about what it's like working as a fisherman on the top of the world in Alaska and in Bristol Bay in particular. Well, it's, um, I mean, like Brett, I kind of, I, I grew up with it. Both my parents are commercial fishermen, and, and so I was pretty much raised on the boat and in the fishery. So it's, I guess I never really realized how unique it was until I took a look at the rest of the world and went off to college and saw the types of jobs normal people have. But it's, I, I can't complain. It's a, it's a great fishery. It's, it's definitely hard work and fast-paced and not a whole lot of sleep during the fishing season, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's it's a really enjoyable lifestyle for me. And what are you catching? We're catching salmon. The, we've got all five species of wild salmon here in Bristol Bay, and the, the main fish that comes in is sockeye salmon, which is the real nice red red meat. And we've, we've also mm. got Chinook, the king salmon, um, and all the others. I invite people to um, to look up Dillingham in Bristol Bay on, on Wikipedia or just online because the photographs of this open landscape are just incredible. And and do you have a website too, Catherine? Yeah, we do. The the commercial fisherman for Bristol Bay website. It's just fishermanforbristolbay.com, and we've also got a Facebook site at facebook.com/fishermanforbristolbay. So. So look it up, and we've got a lot of great pictures on there and just some more information about the issue. Yeah. And, Brett, um, so you started fishing in Homer, where I, I found they they drink their beer out of Sobe bottles. <laughs> That's right. Homer Brewery uh, is really good at being sustainable and brews their uh, delicious uh, Homer brews right out of uh, and puts them into the Sobe bottles. And you've got the, one of the brightest lighthouses on the coastline there. Lighthouses. I mean, I would just no, no. That's the drink. That that lighthouse at the end of the, that bar that's inside a lighthouse or something. The salty dog. The salty dog. Thank you. You, you got it. Yeah, the most one of the most iconic bars in uh, in Alaska. Well, I couldn't have, help say Homer without bringing that up. Um, so, um, why did you end up? You fished all over everywhere, and yet you choose Bristol Bay. Why is that? Well, maybe Bristol Bay chose me. I'm not exactly. I'm not exactly sure, uh, but my uh, most of my family are commercial fishermen, and so uh, while everybody, <laughs> all my other friends were uh, at soccer camp, you know, in the summers, uh, I was uh, on my dad's commercial fishing boat uh, wherever he was fishing at the time. So that was how I got introduced to fishing was basically um, by the age of three and uh, continued fishing with my dad every summer. Uh, and Mike Catherine uh, went to college and realized, uh, you know, after doing a lot of uh, finance internships and uh, I used to work in a, for a hedge fund here in Seattle and I just kind of one day after Lehman Brothers collapsed went, what am I doing? There's nothing more I want to be doing Doing yeah. than, than than going fishing and uh, and Bristol Bay is just so unique as a fishery because it's it's uh, the world's largest salmon fishery 
Um, yet the time of which these salmon return to the bay is really just a three or four week window. I mean, it, it's when the salmon come back, it is a wall of fish. They come back in the millions and it's, it's just phenomenal. And so uh, for me, fishing in Bristol Bay just, uh, just made sense um, so that I can kind of uh, continue some, some other work in the off season and really uh, go back to my heritage and, and run my own business. And, the, the fishing, that's like a, if there was a fishing fleet, it wouldn't stay in Dillingham. It would probably come out of Homer or something. Well, the fishing fleet, uh, people, you know, there's so many boats there, Rob. I mean, there's, there's, uh, about 1,400, uh, boats that fish Bristol Bay. There's also about a thousand, uh, people who, who fish from land called a set net. And, and I run a drift netter and, and, that's the beauty of it is people can do whatever they want with their boats. Uh, a lot of people keep them there, like myself in Dillingham. Uh, uh, some, pe- some people keep them in, in another town called Naknek. Those are kind of the two main ports. But other people choose to uh, fish uh, their boat for, for, for various other fisheries like cod and halibut, and, and that's their business. That's their livelihood. Yeah, the halibut from Alaska is just to die for. I think to eat. I mean, <laughs> uh, although I do like salmon too. Um, so, Catherine, um, where are we going to go here? Um, so, tell us a bit about some of the more traditional users of the, uh, the fish resource up there. Well, yeah. So we've. I mean, we've mostly been talking about the commercial fishery, but salmon fishing in Bristol Bay has been. It's I mean, salmon have been the heart and soul of Bristol Bay long before the fishery was commercialized, and and that's just the the people who have lived here forever. There's Yupik, Alutic, and Denina people living in in the Bristol Bay region, and I mean, you can argue about how long they've been here, but pretty much forever they've they've been living and subsisting off the land, and and um, more than just salmon, it's food harvest here is a year-round thing, and. And you really couldn't make it here. I mean, whether you're native Alaskan or or not, everyone who lives here depends on the the subsistence fishery, and we fill our freezers with salmon and moose and birds and and just really anything from the land and and clean water and air is is kind of essential for the lifestyle out here. What kind of birds do you like to eat? Um, so right or do you now, like to eat? These, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Ptarmigan are a, they're, they're definitely my favorite and they're a big thing this time of year. They're those little white birds. I think they're, they're something like a prairie, a snow version of a prairie chicken. <laughs> no, don't compare them to chicken. I don't like chickens, but I do like ptarmigan. <laughs> they got nice feathery yeah. feet and stuff. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and, and so there are so many different users of stakeholders in, in this natural resource of Bristol Bay around the, the salmon fishery and, of course, um, all of the fisheries and the wildlife are all interlinked. Um, uh, Brett, what about, um, you, we spoke a bit about the commercial fishermen. How about recreational fishermen and anglers that come in that are not indigenous to the region? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the, the, uh, the hidden pleasures about being a commercial fisherman in the area is that uh, when you're done fishing, you know, we're there harvesting these salmon uh, right before they enter the river systems. And so, you know, after the season, we can, uh, we can join 
join the uh, sport fishermen up the river and 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 uh, and sport fish these these salmon and these trout and and that industry is huge. I mean, there's lodges um, scattered all throughout Bristol Bay that that uh, that so many people from you know nationally and internationally use. I mean, it's it's a it's a roughly about 150 million dollar um, economic impact from from sport fishing there. And uh, I highly encourage anybody uh, who's listening who likes to uh, who maybe wants to go catch a 15 pound rainbow or or a, a 50 or 60 pound chinook salmon to uh, start looking up uh, some lodges there in, in the bay. I could recommend a few, and I'm sure Catherine can do the same. I can hear the, the phones ringing right now. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good fishing opportunities, not something to waste, let linger for long. Um, and you know, the reason I'm asking all these questions is that it's it's really important that that people understand, you know, what's at stake here. You know, it's not just an impressive financial number, but it's a national treasure. You know, um, you know, more people are interested in this kind of fishing and this kind of um, sporting and stuff. Then might be interesting in hiking the Grand Canyon, and yet we do so much to protect the Grand Canyon. Um, it's important that we understand the, the resources and the treasures that we have before um, before something happens. You know, before they get threatened because people don't know what's going on. So what I'm leading up to is um, we're going to take a short break, and after the break, uh, we're going to learn about um, this pebble mine uh, proposal and uh, how it threatens the uh, awesome wildlife and, and quality of lifestyles that are up there in Bristol Bay. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Drop me in the mud of the 
You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about... We're talking to Catherine and Brett, two Bristol Bay, Alaska fishermen. And we're talking about the incredible fecundity of life up there, uh, particularly the salmon runs and how dependent uh, the, the entire region and beyond is on these, what we call the red gold, the, the salmon that, that run the rivers and offshore where they catch them um, in Bristol Bay. Uh, Catherine, is there a website that people can go to to um, learn to either communicate with you guys and to learn more about what's happening up there? Yes, if you if you visit fishermenforbristolbay.org, um, you can learn more about our issue and and find ways to contact us there. And then also we've got a Facebook page at Facebook slash Fishermen for Bristol Bay. So so let's talk about this pebble mine. I don't have a note here about who I'm supposed to ask first. Well, I can I can start and, and just yeah. explain a little bit why why we're all worried up here and and fishermen across the country are are starting to pay attention to this and worry now too is I mean like like we've talked about Bristol Bay is it's a world class fishery it we provide I mean beyond just the people who live here and depend on on the salmon to eat and fishing for jobs we really feed the world with wild sustainable and clean sockeye salmon um, we're the largest we're the largest producer of sockeye salmon in, in Alaska and, and definitely the world. So the the reason for concern here is it's it's called pebble mine and it doesn't exist yet, but it's a it's a golden copper deposit right settled between the top of the two most important watersheds that feed Bristol Bay. I mean it's literally smack dab in the middle of spawning habitat. So I mean salmon spend most of their lifetime growing and getting bigger out in the ocean, but then they come back right to where they were born to spawn and rear for a year, and, and this mine is located right in their essential habitat. Right, so if they lose their river, they can't go somewhere else, and this is the most wild place left. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you mentioned there's no roads here. There's there's also no industrial development. There's no there's no other threat to these fish. I mean, it's it's a sustainably managed fishery. There's ups and downs, of course, but the fish always spring back because they've got their habitat intact. And so what this mine is proposing to do, it's it's the largest deposit discovered in North America, but it's not it's not the kind of mine where you walk around and find gold nuggets or anything. It's very, very low-grade ore. So the, the company is looking to develop it. Um, there are northern dynasties out of Canada and Anglo-American out of London, and they formed this partnership called the Pebble Partnership. And what they're proposing to do is dig up this 11 billion tons of ore they've discovered and basically grind it up into a powder, extract the 1% that is worth anything, and leave the rest behind perpetually. And that's, that's what we're all worried about, really. And it's mountaintop removal, right? They just, just, just scarify the whole surface of the mountain or, or the hills or whatever you call them there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's at the scale of mountaintop removal, but yeah. even worse, it's located in wetlands and rivers and streams, and so it's basically wetland removal and then filling in the valleys with 
whatever waste they end up with. So it would be a thousand foot deep hole. And then once they grind all that material up, they would fill acres and acres and acres of wetlands and streams and, and salmon habitat with waste. Right. I mean, siltation doesn't sound, it doesn't sound poisonous, you know, just ground up rocks and stuff. But sediment and siltation is a real problem for fish, right? That's right. And then, and then scarier than that is this, once it's ground up, this material would turn acid. This is a, this is a sulfide deposit. And so much like many of the mines, even located in the desert in this country, there's, there would be water issues. Forever. I mean, the, the water on top of these tailings ponds would have to be treated forever, and they will eventually turn acid, and then seepage of that acid water would have, I mean, it, it's impossible to predict the impacts it would have, but it's, there's never been a mine like this developed without contamination happening, and most of them are developed in the desert, so trying to put this in the middle of a wetland is... And most of them are smaller than this one. Yeah, that's right. The The largest mine in... In North America is about the third, a third the size of what the pit would be for this mine. And and I mean mining, mining is big in Alaska. Don't get me wrong; it, it provides tons of jobs. It's, yeah. It it really is a large industry in Alaska. But every mine in the state, either developed or conceived, wouldn't come close to making a dent in in the size of this one. That's amazing. The largest mine currently operating in Alaska is. Only one third the size. This would be three times as big as the largest mine. And then they're going to tell us, oh yeah, we've got the technology to, you know, retain these huge lakes of poisonous water and sediments. And we're supposed to believe that. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Rob, if I can add, yeah, please, what, go ahead, what, 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 a point Catherine has made, and. I mean, there are so many issues that are of concern with with the impact of the pebble mine. One is this uh, tailings dam that she talked about of, of, of upwards of 11 billion tons of waste, um, which is basically uh, already treated rock and tundra that they're digging up, and then you have to put it somewhere. And uh, what they have proposed is to basically, um, between two... Uh, uh, mountains, you know, within a valley to dam off that valley, uh, and this is above ground, uh, and dam that off and then put 11 billion tons of waste uh, into this massive, massive toxic tailings dam that will be, uh, you know, upwards of 740 feet tall. And just to kind of give you a visual, that will be taller than the Space Needle. That Oh, my gosh. Taller than the Space Needle, 11 billion tons of waste that need to be uh, kept there in a seismically active, wet, porous region forever by two international mining companies. And, and uh, you know, it's just ridiculous that this is even a, a consideration that, uh, you know, that people are willing to risk uh, where the, uh, the world's half of the, uh, half of the world's sockeye salmon come from. I mean, something that everybody, you know, really enjoys eating, this beautiful Well, wait, but the science is, is cuckoo because, you know, rainwater is going to fall in this area and have to be kept in there because it's contaminated. So it's like it's just going to be constantly accumulating, um, you know, water until it leaks. 
and it will have to well, be yeah, monitored yeah, Robert, forever. Well, yeah, yeah, Robert, a matter of, of decades before it's going to have too much water in there or something. Or they're going to just build the wall up every higher every every so often. <laughs> No, I mean they're they're making promises that this they'll be able to keep all of this maintained during their operations, and then somehow they'll set up a plan to keep the water treated forever. I mean, till the end of time, this thing will be toxic. So, the water, you're right, it's going to rain. The water will have to be treated forever. But they, I, I mean, of, the water, of course, yeah. like any company, they're they're promising that they can do it, and they're making guarantees. But that's, I mean, that's the choice we're kind of faced with here: is do we take the word of a company in place? a ticking time bomb in the middle of the world's greatest salmon fishery and and take the company at its word that everything's going to go okay. Well, I would feel better if the president of the company had to drink the leachate that came out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so and, you know, when we got sick, we'd know something was happening. And, and, and every, you know, I think I can speak for Catherine on this, is, is we're, you know, we're not against mining. We're right. just against this mine. Um you know, and we're against what, what I mean, the, the biggest concern is, is, is Anglo's track record, you know, in, in, in Africa and Zimbabwe with, with acid runoff contaminating groundwaters and, and in Nevada and, and, and there's just countless examples of where mining companies have had the best intentions, right, that they're going to use the best technology to mitigate the most risk. And there are just too many examples that, right. uh, that, that, that wherever your best intentions may be, um, negative impacts have happened. And, and, and maybe in a, in a dry area where there's, you know, not, there's not these large, amazing natural resources available, you know, those impacts are really, really lessened, if, if at all available, um, in some cases. But in this region, I mean, it's just, uh, and that's a question of scale. You know, the bigger it is, the harder it is to prevent impacts. Exactly. And this is why we need government regulators, because we need government to regulate industry so it won't poison the people. And, you know, we, we're smart enough to figure things out not to poison people, or, and until you figure it out, don't do it. That's why you need government regulation to say, look, you know, you can't just cut corners and do it on the cheap and then poison everybody. This is not some West Virginia mining operation that can destroy a creek and move on, you know, to some other creek. Well, that's right. And, I mean, at, at the very least, if if we can get, and, and I mean, we're, we're a fishing industry here. We don't typically seek out the help of the federal government um, or especially the Environmental Protection Agency for help. But in this case, we're, I mean, we're looking to protect our industry against the threats of another. Um, but and, yeah, you're right. Was, that was the great thing, Mrs. Catherine. You went to... Uh, Anchorage, and to speak, to, I mean, the EPA has a responsibility to interview the people of the place wherever it's going. So this is what we did for the West Hill River and Berkshires of Massachusetts was, you know, we spoke to the EPA and said, here are our concerns, and these have got to be addressed before you can permit this, because they, they're the ones, they're the permitting people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so what did you um, tell the EPA to look out for or, or to consider before permitting well, so I should I should back up a little bit, yeah. but but this this fight has been has been going on, and this this issue came up about eight or ten years ago here locally, and local residents and fishermen and everyone took a look at it, and it, it wasn't a snap decision. I mean, no doubt there's 
economic issues here, I mean, like all across the country, people need jobs, and, and we all looked at this and said, okay, yes, it would bring jobs to the region, but the more and more people got educated on this type of mining and everything, the more it became apparent that this isn't, it's not the type of development for this region. It's not compatible with what we already have here. And so groups got together and fishermen and native tribes and everyone started seeking ways within the state to either block the project or at least come up with protections for the fish. And and basically we we haven't really gotten very far in state, and so that's where this request to the federal government happened is with nine of the local tribes here made a request to the EPA to take an action now on one of the permits and the, the, the main permit that this mine would need to actually put waste and toxic material in salmon streams in waters of the U.S., um, and that's the permit that the EPA has oversight on. And so for the last two years now, or about two years ago, we made this request that they take an action on the permit, and rather than taking an immediate action, the EPA stepped back and started this assessment of our watershed and, and took a look at the importance of the Bristol Bay fishery and what the potential impacts to it would be from a mine, and, and that's what they're working on now, and they've come out with a draft already that, I mean, Basically, they've done their homework and and found that Bristol Bay is a world-class fishery. It really is everything we're making it out to be. Um, and a mine like, like Pebble, development of this mine would have, no doubt, immediately have impacts on the fishery and were mi- mistakes to happen, they would be hard to predict and difficult to impossible to mitigate. And well, good. everything the right they're finding stuff. is right in line with what we're, we've been saying all along. We have to take a short break, and we'll be back with uh, Catherine and Brett about Bristol Bay mining. Uh, Bristol Bay. (laughs) The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you. 
You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're talking with two Bristol Bay fishermen, Catherine and Brett, about plans for a ginormous uh, gold and copper mining operation, strip mining operation, called Pebble Mine. And it has been in the, you know, it's the eye of the apple of miners for a long time. Uh, and they continue to keep chipping away at trying to put this enormous thing into the headwaters of Bristol Bay. So it isn't just one creek, but basically the two main rivers that, that the salmon of Bristol Bay uh, swim into um, are coming out of where this mine would be. So, uh, Brett, what are the Bristol Bay fishermen doing about all this? Well, it's really taken shape, uh, Rob, in the past. You know, uh, it really it's, it's taken a lot of momentum in the past five years and then recently in the past couple of years. Uh, and so Bristol Bay fishermen, you know, after, after all this science that we've been discussing today has come out and just the negative impacts that this mine will inevitably have on our fisheries, we're, we're basically uh, uniting together in, in protecting uh, our livelihoods and this amazing natural resource. And so uh, myself, along with Catherine um, and uh, other fishermen, are, are working as a, as a coalition to to uh, to request to the EPA and the Obama administration and Alaska state legislators and uh, Washington state state legislators and and uh, you know everybody else uh, in the nation to protect our fishery um, and that's what we are currently working on right now is is spreading the message but then also um, getting getting people getting uh, getting activists getting legislators involved. In, uh, in helping protect our fishery and, and our livelihood. Um, and so, and so we have organized a group called Commercial Fishermen for Bristol Bay. Uh, it's, uh, the website is fishermenforbristolbay.com. Uh, and people can go there and find more information and get latest news of what we're doing. Um, and we are, we are a coalition of Bristol Bay fishermen that are reaching out within our state, but also nationally and internationally to uh, the commercial fishing communities um, and then just the general public to raise awareness and build support um, to stop the proposed pebble mine and to uh, support the EPA in, uh, in enacting what's called a 404C, which will basically stop this mine from moving forward. So they won't have the permits to do so. That's excellent. It's a huge undertaking, especially in Alaska, where, you know, Senator Lisa Mikowski was a write-in candidate uh, because she's so down on EPA regulations. People wrote her in to be reelected. So this is a culture that's not used to calling in the feds to help protect the resource. No, no, it's not. And, uh, you know, Catherine can really speak a lot about that. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, that's why this is a national issue. Um, you know, this is definitely an Alaska issue, but this is a, a fishery that is a $350 million fishery uh, na- uh, annually, you know, and, and this 
provide huge amounts of jobs, 14,000 commercial fishing jobs uh, from, from fishermen coming from all around the United States. And then, and then not only do you have the economic impact from fishing, but you have it being sold in restaurants, being sold in stores like Safeway and Whole Foods, um, and, then, and then people who just enjoy it. So this really is a prime example of a national issue that concerns the EPA that we need their help to to protect this natural resource. Yeah, so the way the EPA is set up, um, the, the, they give most credence, and the, the government in Alaska, they give most credence to the stakeholders themselves. And so kudos for the commercial fishermen of Bristol Bay because, you know, if, if you know, they, you guys have the most clarion voice of anyone, well, and the indigenous, the local tribes and so forth. But it's so important that, you know, that you are Bristol Bay fishermen and, and you're down, you know, wasting away in Seattle being an academic, you know, to get, you know, many fishermen won't do that. And, and fortunately, and Catherine traveling all the way to New England here to spread the word about this. I mean, no one speaks truth better than the actual users. And uh, bravo. Um, Catherine, do you want to add to what um, people are doing over there? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, Brett's, Brett's exactly right. We've, as, as Bristol Bay fishermen, I mean, we're, we're all against this mine. We're all looking to protect our local fishery, but there's really only, I don't know, about 3,000 of us or upper. I mean, there's, there's about 2,800 permits owned, and then we all hire a crew, but it's a fairly small voice in, in the larger terms, and so it's, it's been really, really gratifying to find the support within Alaska. I mean, with when the CPA idea and, and effort came out, of course, fishermen take pause. I mean, my own parents were like, "We are calling the EPA." I don't know about that. That's I don't right. know if we want them in here. And it's, I mean, they're they're not always the best no, friend of our. They're the regulators. Of our, Who wants regulation? Yeah, 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 exactly. But this, I mean, this 404C, like like Brett mentioned, is really. I mean, I see it as the the reason EPA exists. It's, it's the purpose of them to be able to look at issues, take a step back and really protect areas and, and look out for industries and watersheds before a problem occurs and be able to look at the types of development and make sure everything is compatible. And And so it's it's been really great and gratifying to see other groups within Alaska recognize that, and, and we've really got the support of the largest the largest organizations within Alaska are fishing processors. Everybody's getting on board, and, and anyone who knows fisheries issues or has worked in them knows that it's not always easy to get all the user groups to agree on something, and this is this is something that among fishermen and even among, I mean, local subsistence users and sport fishermen don't always agree on things, and this is something we're all able to get behind because, I mean, if we can't protect this fishery, we don't have anything to fight over. We don't have allocation issues or anything. It's It's... The first step is making sure the fish stick around. Absolutely. And the mining interests are not paying into Alaskans the way the oil people do. So there's not that no, not, complexity. No, not at all. Our, our tax structure is, it, it hasn't been updated in a century. Um, they basically don't, don't have to contribute. And the few jobs that will come into the region from this and, and the country are, they're, they're short-term jobs. Um, they're not... They're not all the greatest jobs in the world. I mean, the jobs that get offered to, to local communities are not really the the high-paying jobs. The money isn't going to stick around either in the region, in the state, or even in the country. I mean, the people who are going to make money off this are the shareholders in London and Canada. 
amazing. Wow. Um, so what can people do besides what you guys are doing? What can we do for well, so this? Yeah, this this commercial fisherman for Bristol Bay effort we've we've started on. It's I mean it's also been really great to feel the support from when we when Brett and I started making phone calls. It was we were cold calling fishing organizations along the east and west coast, and and the response we got was enormous. I mean people really understand, especially on the east coast where I mean you guys have had so many problems and troubles, and you've lost a lot of habitat, and and people really identify with the need to stand up and protect the few sustainable fisheries we have left. Um, and so that, that's just been enormous. And then, in turn, the groups that are supporting us have been making calls to their senators and writing letters and, and really making this an issue, a, a national fisheries issue. And, and that's, that's exactly what we need. We need the White House. We need EPA. We need all your elected officials to understand that this is Bristol Bay is not worth risking, and it's it's our opportunity to get salmon right the first time here. Um, and so, just spreading spreading the word and making sure the people we've put in office are working to look out for fisheries like this. Well, good for you for spreading the word. You're really getting the work done because um, I was brought. This was brought to my attention by Darren Saletta, the uh, commercial striped bass fisherman who has been my guest on a previous program. And um, Darren and I were down at Baltimore to protect the Menhaden uh, fisheries there, and we managed to uh, have a bunch of people and organizations that have been working for three years and managed for the first time for the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Council to uh, limit the Menhaden fisheries by 25%, which we figure is 100, 100 million uh, Menhaden a year being not caught. Um, and, and so Darren was saying, oh, yeah, and then, you know, Catherine and Brett are coming by and stuff. Uh, you know, this is, this is really good that you're, um, and you're going to bring, oh, tell us about the Red Gold film. Oh, yeah, so this is, I mean, this, this work is, can sometimes be, sometimes be fun more than work also. So it's on this, on this trip we're making out to New England. We'll come to be in the state of Massachusetts for the week of the 25th. Um, or the week of the 21st, sorry. And so on the, the 24th, the New England Aquarium is hosting a showing of this great film that was made about the region, and it's it's actually won quite a few awards at film festivals. And, and the film's been around for a few years, but it's definitely completely current, and it's it's one of the best ways to get a quick introduction and a feel for the region and, and the mind that's threatening it. So the film is called Red Gold, and it will be playing at the... New England Aquarium on the 24th at 7 p.m., and also a, a local New England chef will be preparing a little taste of Bristol Bay, and you can come and come and see what Bristol Bay salmon's all about and, and get a taste of Bristol Bay sockeye. And um, we actually just had Barton Seaver confirmed to sit on the panel along with Darren Saletta and and myself. And um, Well, that's great. You got Barton up from uh, Baltimore or something. Do you know yeah, Barton yeah, and he's that's right. Can you tell us a bit about Barton Seaver? So he's he's um an author and he I mean of course he wrote the fish for cotton the book for cotton country, um, but he's also really taken Bristol Bay on as, as one of his issues and he's been touring the country and talking to universities about the issue and what people can do. And actually Brett, I think is is he heading out your way 
I'm seeing him, let's see, he is speaking in less than four hours here at the University of Washington (laughs) with with, with the Bevan series. So he's kicking off uh, the Bevan series tonight. Well, give give Brett my regards. He's a great great guy. He's so charismatic. He's so gets the messaging together, you know, here in New England and Chesapeake, you know, he's explaining how we can save it by having oysters and a beer. You can save the oceans. <laughs> you know, he just is just so dynamic about it. It brings it home to culinary delights while at the same time saving the oceans, saving the ocean wildlife. Um, it's, it's, he's, he's of a kind. Um, we're going to take a short break and be back with Brett and Catherine after this break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. I'm talking with Brett, who is uh, calling to us from Seattle, Washington. And Brett, when you're far away from Bristol Bay, what is it that you remember about the stuff you do up there that keeps you on task about trying to save this terrible uh, mine from happening? Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 where to be, where to even begin uh, with that with that Which question. Is something, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I think that. For me personally, uh, one of my favorite aspects, and, and I think everybody can relate to this, um, you know, with our jobs and how busy we all get, and, and all of the, uh, you know, all the responsibilities that we that we have. 
the best thing about being a commercial fishing captain in Bristol Bay is completely being disconnected from everything. And you are 100% focused on one thing. And it just, even though it's really stressful, I mean, the amount of clarity that you actually gain from completely living in the moment, I mean, there's books about that, right? There's books about how to live in the now and how to live in the moment, how to be completely focused and, 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 and be inspired by the one thing you're currently doing. And that's really what, for me, it's about in Bristol Bay is just, um, living in that exact moment, being focused only on what I'm currently doing and just the next step of, you know, the next 10 minutes of my fishing day. Um, you know, I'm not thinking about things three, four weeks um, down the road. I'm just focusing about making the best decisions uh, for my crew, keeping everybody safe, um, making money, and being able to harvest these salmon, uh, you know, and keeping just the beautiful quality of them so that it can be, uh, gone from 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 sea to plate and, and for consumers to to use. I mean, that really is for so me. You set a net around a school of salmon and back down on it, or yeah. Well, basically, as I said before, we're we're drift netters, so uh, my net and my boat are never anchored anywhere. Right. And so I I set my net out, and these salmon are. I mean, they're charging. When there's a wall of salmon, there's just. It's an amazing wall of salmon, millions of fish, um, you know, I mean, and so you, you put your net out and these fish run into it and then you, and then you bring them on board, um, and they go, and they go from, and they go from, uh, being caught in the ocean to being processed the next day. And, 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 and so, you know, when consumers are getting just this, this, this awesome product and it's just this awesome industry up there, it's kind of like the Wild West still, you know, it's yeah, kind of like exactly. one of these last, the last gold rushes where you can just really just work your butt off and uh and come out hopefully ahead at the end and and uh you know you don't need any special training or any special certific- certificates you just really have to have a good head on your shoulders yeah an experience i want to give Catherine a chance to say the same kind of thing tell us about uh life in Bristol Bay Catherine well i, I guess or fishing whatever speaks i mean of, yeah <laughs> Yeah, fishing, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that it's still exciting, I guess, for me and, and, and Brett too. I mean, we've been doing this our whole lives since a, since a very young age, but it's, I can't even describe the excitement that catching fish brings you. I mean, it, there's a reason sport fishing is big and everything, but I, I get the same thrill. I, I really love catching fish and, and being able to be in control of your boat and, and, make decisions and go out there and you I mean you can't always see them sometimes they'll jump and sometimes you just put your net out in a place you think is a good spot and <laughs> you start seeing those fish hit the net it's just it's an amazing feeling and well, trial and just error. being able to <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and and error is I mean well trial and trial no yeah, yeah, and using goes without error, error. Yeah, isn't your favorite? Yeah. Isn't your favorite like visual? We we, we call it uh, like fireworks. Your net is lighting up, and when you see just these fish hit your net, and it's uh, and uh, and the water splashing. I mean, your heart. I mean, I don't care how long, how many years yeah. you do it, your just heart goes. Yeah, and it, I mean, it makes it possible. Brett Brett's not lying when he says these these sometimes forty, sixty million fish all come in a three week period, and that that basically translates to zero sleep for us, and it's. I pulled all-nighters in college, but I can't say I was excited about it. And somehow fishing can keep you, I mean, it keeps you excited through getting 
10 minutes of sleep here and here, there every other day. It's a you're still able to really enjoy yourself, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, we're almost out of time. Um, Catherine, can you sum us up here? Well, yeah, I uh, guess. I guess I'll just say to anyone who's listening, we'd we'd love you to check out our website at fishermanforbristolbay.org or or our Facebook, find us on Facebook and and like us and follow our page and just any I mean if this issue speaks to you, speak to other people about it. Anything you can do, talk to people, think about think about who's in your phone book, you can give a call and and then if you want to learn more, um I'd love to see you and talk to you. We're, we'll be at the Boston Aquarium on the 24th and come and watch the film Red Gold and, and enjoy some salmon prepared by a local chef. And then I'll be up in Maine and Portland on the 30th at the Gulf of Maine Research Institute. They've been nice enough to let us show the film in their aquarium and their auditorium there. So on the 30th at 7 o'clock in Portland. And and just pay attention and learn more about the issue and, and help us spread the word. Yeah, they, they really need help from every, all of us to spread the word. You know, their voice is so spot on in the problems and speaking from the heart about what a passionate, wonderful place, they, you know, Bristol Bay is. And, and they are, you guys are fantastic ambassadors. Uh, Brett, do you have some closing uh, remarks? I just want to uh, thank you, you know, Rob, for, 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 you know, you're speaking, you're, you're doing exactly what we're hoping other people can, can help do and whatever, whatever that capacity Maybe um, and for you, and for you to bring us on your show, I just want to thank you for for that opportunity and and for all the listeners who've uh, taken the time out of your busy days to uh, to learn about Bristol Bay and the proposed Pebble Mine. Just as Catherine said, talk to whoever you can, tell anybody you can, and really go after the decision makers. Really go after the people that can that can sway the pendulum. Thank you. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the radio. Yeah, thank you. Uh... And Brett, thank you, too. You bet. Uh, next time, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Massachusetts State Senator Jerry Kaufman about a bill that he's been pushing through Beacon Hill called Safer Alternatives to Toxic Chemicals. So these are, this is a bill that will reward any entrepreneur who comes up with a safer alternative. Uh, the state will then insist that we um, use that chemical that's less harmful to our bodies and health and better for our health. And that's next time on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thanks a lot for listening to us today. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Rock, rock, rock.